Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, man, I appreciate the privilege of being here. Thank God. I'm excited and uh, have appreciated friendship with the Campos for years. And uh, this congregation invested and some impact teams came and helped us in South Africa. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that, that God doing a good work. I, we actually were just there. Lisa and I went for the, uh, the conference. When we went to uh, South Africa, I believe there were eight churches in South Africa in total. And uh, now they have in some seven different nations, uh, something like 130 churches now. And so God's done a wonderful work there. So, amen. You have an investment there, and I'm, I'm grateful. But I get to preach the Word of God to you tonight. I'm trusting that God is going to help you on the first night. Turn to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 7. I uh, read a very interesting book recently. It's called The Society of Timid Souls. And the subtitle is called How to Be Brave. The whole book is simply examining the issue of courage. And the lady who writes it, she is interested in courage because she says she herself uh, is a, a very uh, a very timid person, very uh, personally filled with fears of all kinds. And so she examines and interviews all kinds of people that we would consider brave and from all kinds, from war heroes to people who, uh, you know, firemen who charge into fires, all kinds of different dimensions, asking these people who now are recognized for their incredible bravery. And she says in the beginning of the book, part of this is for her, she wants to know how do you be brave? What is it that makes these people brave? And one of the things that she said surprised her is that many of these people that she would interview after doing some incredibly brave feat is they themselves didn't view their actions as extraordinary at all. But a common refrain is they said it was simply the next thing I was supposed to do. It was simply the next thing. People in crisis, how did you get through that? It was simply the next thing. The scripture that we're going to read is a very familiar passage. Four men, they have leprosy. And in the land, the city has been surrounded. There's a national problem. There's a local problem. These men have their own problems. And being totally overwhelmed by their situation, everything turns when they decide to take a step toward victory. And in this, there is a, a very, very powerful lesson about survival and victory. And that is, it often comes simply as the next step. And I want to preach about the next step from Second Kings 7. 
If you want to read with me in verse uh, 3 through 11, the Bible says there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we'll enter the city, the famine's in the city. We'll die there. If we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we'll live. If they kill us, we'll only die. They rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots, the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, look... The king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites, the kings of the Egyptians, to attack us. Therefore, they arose and fled at twilight, left the camp intact, uh, uh, their tents, uh, uh, horses, donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when the lepers, these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing. They went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent. And carried from there also and went and hid it. Then they said to one another, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment might come upon us or will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they called or went and called to the gatekeepers of the city, told them we went to the Syrian camp. Surprisingly, no one was there, not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied in tents intact. The gatekeepers called out and they told it to the king's household inside the next step. Let's talk about the human condition for a moment as we begin. This, in this story, the men, they have leprosy. Now, you know that leprosy is actually a nerve disease. And uh, in this nerve disease, people lose the ability to feel. And often what happens is that it results in damaged and dying flesh. But what I want to point out is that these four men, they did not just have one problem. They didn't just have a skin condition. But think about what it would have meant for them to, uh, in the situation they're in. They were, it had physical uh, uh, problems and sensations. There was isolation. Part of leprosy was that in those days you lost your rights or your freedoms. You had to live apart from people. There's isolation. Then there's a lack of money. They're not no longer able to work their jobs. They are giving their reasoning. There's a lack of food. There's a lack of help. No one is going to come and help them. And even if they could, anyone who could help them are surrounded in the city. There's the emotional trauma of being separated from their family and knowing they're probably going to die separated. And then on top of that, the enemy attack. It is one thing on top of another and another and another and another. Why is that story there? Because that is a very good picture of life. That is actually how life operates. How many of you know this? Problems never come one at a time. With helpful rest breaks in between. Do you know that that's the, that's the way that life is? Life is not like an old Bruce Lee movie, an old karate movie. Remember that? 
is Bruce Lee or the, whoever it was, the hero. He would be surrounded by all these men intent on killing him. But what would they do? Each one would stand there and dance and wait their turn. And he would fight one and give him a karate chop. And then, and only then, would the next... He would... Very polite. The devil doesn't operate like that. The devil is never going to say, Look, I know you probably are a little winded from the last problem you had. You okay? You want to take a break? Never. But this is actually how life operates. Psalm 124.4. Then the waters had overwhelmed us. The stream had gone over our soul. That word overwhelm to inundate, literally, he's describing their problems. And he says, we're drowning here. It is absolutely overwhelming us. The devil attacks at very inopportune times. And he seeks to flood our lives with problems. We read in Job 1. Here, Job, everything's going well uh, in life. He's wealthy, great family. He's got his health, got his marriage, all that. And the, uh, the Bible repeats a phrase, messengers start coming. And a messenger comes and says, Job, bad news. Uh, uh, all your children were there and the house collapsed and your kids died. But it says this interesting phrase, And while he was yet speaking, another messenger would come. And you know what? They came and they they took all of your camera. And while he was yet speaking, because that's how life is, it is piling on. And then uh, he loses his health. Isaiah 59, 19 uh, says, When the enemy shall come in like a flood. And the commentators say probably that is talking about the Nile River, that at one uh, uh, point during the year that it absolutely overflows its banks and inundates everything in its path. That is the nature of life. Life does not come at convenient moments. Problems don't come conveniently. They do not come one at a time. The enemy of our soul, it does not politely wait for us to get over the last one. This is the way that life is. Ed Meese, who is a former attorney general, he was given advice by his predecessor, William French Smith, He said, there's going to be many days in your new job, you're going to feel like a javelin competitor who won the the coin toss and elected to receive. That's the way that life often is. But I want you to catch this. There is an emotional element to problems. Their problems here were not simply dollars and cents. It was not simply getting together and saying, you know what? We are exactly $57.23 short. It was not a problem of calories. It wasn't a problem of facts alone, although it may have involved all of those things. There is any, anytime you have problems, your emotions get involved in this. Psalm 143.4 says, Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is 
desolate. And, and so it uses the word overwhelmed, which we saw in a previous verse, is I am absolutely covered over. I'm inundated. My heart is desolate. And the idea he's describing, he says on the inside, that word literally means there is darkness inside and I think I'm going to collapse. He's describing emotions. Problems are not merely factual, but they also are emotional. Verse 4, if we say we'll go into the city, the famine's there, we'll die. If we stay here, we'll die. So this is often what happens in the middle of problems, is that problems produce despair. Despair is absence of hope. It is normal. If on the way home you get a flat tire, if you lose your job, you're probably not going to be feeling very chipper by the time you get home, are you? That's normal. But you know, fix the tire, get a different job, you'll feel better. But what these men are describing If we stay here, we die. If we go there, we die. In other words, there is no hope. They're describing an absence of hope, and that is despair. No matter what we do, we're dead. And so this is what happens. I want you to notice this. Despair has a language. People who are filled with despair... They speak, often in very similar terms, they use words like, I just can't go on. I can't do this anymore. I don't have what it takes. I don't know what to do. I'm just too tired to fight, or I'm just too tired to do right. Very interesting story in the Bible is Elijah. Elijah gets a message from Queen Jezebel and she threatens his life. And in despair, he runs away. And it's so interesting to me is that when he is in the midst of a problem, doesn't know what to do, he's in despair. What does he do? He goes to sleep. I just... And and the angel comes. Of course, he is physically exhausted. And, and how many know sometimes naps are holy? They're from God. Okay? That's, I'm just, just telling you. That's, there are things that are holy. Naps are one of them. But anyway, that's another. That's another. But interesting to me, it, Elijah said, or, or, or his reaction to his problems is, I just want to stay sleeping. Interesting to me, last night I had a lady come to me. She's got problems and she just got bad news. She's trying to get her kids back. She's gotten saved and, and uh, got court cases and financial problems and all that. And she says, Pastor, the problem is all I want to do all day is sleep and eat. That's all I want to do. She's saying, I don't think I have what it takes. I got all these problems. I don't know what to do. And so emotional exhaustion, physical exhaustion, they often go hand in hand. Despair has a language. If we stay here, we're dead. If we go, we're dead. You know what? I don't don't think I can 
go on. But here is the problem. This is why I'm preaching this, is that often we have an incorrect focus. Why do people in the middle of problems, why do they come to the conclusion that I simply can't go on? Had very recently a very real and a traumatic problem as a a lady, her husband has uh, left her and left her with children, uh, uh, with the kids. And now she's uh, struggling with how she's going to support herself. And in despair, she's weeping on the phone. And, and, and she's saying, I just uh, can't go. I can't do this. And I said, you know, okay. And I let her speak for a while and get the emotion out. And I said, but the options are what? Right? You know, so the, okay, I, I, I know that's how you feel. But you know, the real problem is you will be filled with despair if you're looking at the big picture or long term. In other words, the reason why people get so overwhelmed is they are trying to work out how is this going to look five years from now? How is this going to be resolved? Ultimately, how is it going to be completely resolved? You know, my finances and my marriage and my ministry and my health and my salvation. And and how is it all going to work out? Can I give you a word from the Lord? I don't have a clue. What's going to happen five years from now? Who knows? That's not what God is calling you to do. This is the problem. You're always going to be filled with despair if you're looking at every problem in your life and you want to know, how am I going to solve all of these problems? You know what? Between tonight and five years from now, there are a million small steps. God doesn't ask you to resolve five years from now. He asks for a step. And so anytime you're focusing on the big picture in the human condition, you are going to have language very similar to the four lepers. If we do this, we're dead. If we do that, we're dead. There's nothing we can do. So let's talk secondly about the next step. So we see some correct perspectives because these men, in the midst of despair, they did understand a couple of things very wisely. Number one, sitting is not an option. This is often what we want to do. I get people, you know, Pastor, I just, I'm just so tired of that. You know, I just, I, I, you know what? I'm just going to take a break from ministry for a while. I'm just not going to come to church for a while. In South Africa, you have people, I wouldn't see them there for a month, and I'd run into them in the shopping center. We'd be witnessing, where are you? And they go, oh, Pastor, I'm be- I've been stressed. So these men said, I can't stop functioning in life. They said, why are we sitting here until we die? Listen, you've got big problems at the moment, Okay. Can I tell you something? If you do nothing, you will die. That was an encouraging word, wasn't it? That's what these men said. If we sit here, if we do nothing, we are going to die. Very interesting book. It's called 
deep survival. It examines crises and tragedies in life, you know, plane crashes, earthquakes, avalanches, all kinds of things that happen. And the basis of the book simply asks this. At every plane crash, somebody lives and somebody dies. Avalanche comes, and some people died and some people didn't. And so they simply are asking, why do some people live and some people die in the midst of this? And, of course, there's location and what we would call luck and, uh, you know, different kinds of things. But in this, they said, you know what? You know who really dies in the midst of a house is on fire, the plane crashes, it catches on fire? You know who dies? The people who freeze. Because they say to themselves, this can't be happening. So what do they do? The plane's on fire. It just crashed. Run! Everything's burning. But what do they do? They go, this can't, it can't be happening. It is. Run! The avalanche is coming. Who dies? The people who do nothing. And the leper said, if we do nothing, we will die. And that is true in life. There's a second very simple key to victory here. Solving the entire problem isn't up to you. I said to you, you're going to get absolutely overwhelmed if you're worrying about five years from now how it's all going to work out, who and when and what and why. That's not your problem. That's God's problem. And so here, these men, they didn't get together. It didn't say the four leprous men, what we will do, we will begin to move down the road like this and move behind the enemy and suddenly God will begin. That's not what they said. They didn't have a master strategy You know what? God doesn't expect you to have a master strategy. You say, I I, I got problems everywhere. Some of you here, maybe you're like the executive. Uh, He was, uh, uh, from the time he woke up, he's uh, got emails and calls and crises of everything. He jumps into his uh, car and the driver says, where do you want to go? He says, it doesn't matter because I got problems everywhere. And so the issue is not I know exactly everything that should happen because if you know that, you would be God. You'd be taking his job. So these men understand sitting's not an option, solving the entire problem. It's not what we're supposed to do. But very profound in this story, it says, how do you survive in a crisis? How do you gain the victory in life? Very simple. It comes through. The next step. Verse 5, they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. Here, you know what, guys? If we sit here, we're going to die. And so the Bible says they took a step. And when they got done with that step, what should we do now? Take the next step. That's all they did. But this is the key in life. Think about that. Don't lose sight of how difficult. It wasn't just like, you know, some healthy guys. You know what we should do? We need to go over there. Yeah, okay, let's go. These men had leprosy. You know, leprosy often is is one of the things when the nerves are damaged and then they hurt themselves. The flesh begins to rot. Fingers and toes are what goes first. So for these men, when they said, you know what, we should go toward the enemy, it was 
absolutely agonizing just to take one step. That hurt. It took everything I could. You know what? But I've got to take another step. But that is what brought the victory. Nigel Hartley, he was a, uh, he's the director of supportive care, St. Christopher's Hospice Center in London. This woman interviewed him on the issue of bravery. He said, I think the human instinct is always to survive, isn't it? He said, the best counsel I've ever been given in a 25-year career is when something awful is happening, then sometimes the only thing to do is the next thing. He added, he said, you can't actually do anything other than the next thing, whatever that happens to be. You can't suddenly leap months ahead. You just have to take the next step. That is what the lepers did. I don't know everything I should do, but if I sit, I'm going to die. So you know what? I'm just going to do what comes next. That is, that is profound because that's often how life is. What should you do? This woman who called me, she's absolutely distraught. I don't have what it takes. I can't. What am I supposed to do, pastor? I said, go to bed, wake up, get through the day. And the angels began to sing. Right there. That was powerful. She's looking for some word of wisdom. Sister, the Lord, what should you do? Wake up, get the kids to school, get through the day. Just do the next step. That is what you have to do. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen in your life. I don't know how it's all going to be fixed. But the Bible says take the next step. Get up, read your Bible some, pray some, get through the day. Repeat. Because we get hung up on the dramatic, right? What you're hoping is I'm going to bring some key out of this that you never... Actually, I've got the hidden code secretly that buried there. We want something dramatic. It was powerful that these four men, they suddenly, they ripped their shirts and there was S for super leper there. You know, that they... But actually, there was four guys got together and said, we're going to die here. So let's just take the next step. And as they begin to do that, that is God, how he helps you. You know what? That's the answer to confusion in the middle of trouble. Job 19.8, he's blocked my way so that I can't pass. He shrouded my paths in darkness. So Job is saying here, if I knew what to do. I would do it. I often get people, they got life crisis, and they're coming to me, Pastor, what should I do? That's what Job is saying. I, 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 I got so many problems. My problems are so big. Life is such a mess. I don't know what to do. You know what you do when you don't know what to do? You do what you already know. It's not some powerful new thing. You go find this book in the Christian bookstore. Is you do what you do know. And that is how then God is able to show you what you don't. 
Mark 4, 25, or he that has to him more shall be given. The Bible says when you use what you already know, God shows you what you don't know. Use what you have. Take the next step. And therefore, God is able to help you. Proverbs 4.18, the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn shining ever brighter until the full light of day. Let's close with this thought. Let's talk about miracle footsteps. Our story is an unlikely miracle. Who does God help in life? Remember years ago, and I first was interested in the subject of healing. I read a book by a man, and he had a healing ministry, and he was talking about how he entered into it, and he, he fasted for 40 days. I'm hungry just thinking about that. I don't know about you. <laughs> and he's telling it on. He fasted and prayed and locked himself in the room, and finally an angel showed up. You know, that's a powerful story, but it's actually in the Bible, God helps people like this. Does, does God help people who simply, they fast until an angel comes? No, God helps people who say, I don't know everything I should do, but I'm just going to take the next step. And God gets involved, right? Here's the problem with this. The devil makes us feel lame. Right? We take the next step. You ever do this? How many of you, when you are in the middle of a crisis, is, is that when you pray? I'm talking genuine life crisis. Is that when you pray King James? <clears throat> it always fascinates me. People, you know them. Right? You hear them, brother, I'd like you to pray. Oh, omnipotent one who reigneth in the... So, we're in crisis. You ever do that? You ever go into the prayer room? And while you're talking, you're thinking, this is stupid. Anybody here ever be honest? Come on, be honest with me. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. How many of you have you ever been prayed and you said, this is stupid? Because it doesn't feel powerful. Your brain is like scrambled egg. You're trying to get through. You're going... That's what the devil does. That, that's stupid. You ever read your Bible? You're, you're praying. There's time pressures and there's agony of soul. And you're trying to work and you read a little bit. The thought comes to you. What good did that do? What good did that, that do? Would you do read one little chapter? How long did you pray for? That wasn't very powerful. What good is that going to do? Can I give you some good news? God is merciful to struggling people. That's not, that's not the God that we serve. Thank God. The God that we serve is not in heaven going. That's not good enough. The Bible says, Matthew 12, 20, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoking flax he'll not quench. Thank God. This is the heart of God. I want to tell you something. Some of the most powerful prayers I have ever prayed in my life, they were very un-King James. Some of the most powerful prayers when I'm in absolute agony of soul, all I could say was, oh, God, help me. And that was all I could say. 
It wasn't very, I wasn't saying some incredible thing. I was just saying, oh, God, help me. And that's all I could get out. But God would meet with me. The principle here is when you do what you can do, God will do what you can't do. This scripture says, here are these four lepers with their next step. And the Bible says, there is a magnifying of footsteps. To the, I wonder if any of these lepers, when they're taking a step, I wonder if any of them said, this is stupid. But in the enemy camp, they didn't think it was stupid. What's that sound? Who's coming? What can it be? It's got to be a mighty army. Here's four lepers. They go, oh, one more step. Because God gets involved. This is what God does. Verse 5. And to their surprise, when they got to the enemy camp, there was no one there. That is what God does. He goes before us, clearing the way. He changes the circumstances. Thank God. Do you know what? This is why you shouldn't quit. This is why in the midst of life, I don't care if the voice in your head says this is stupid. I don't care if it's all that you can do to take another step. That is why I wonder if God was in heaven going, don't stop. Don't stop because as they're taking the next step, he is doing something more than what they can do. Listen to me. I don't know everything you should do in life, but I know that you should take another step. Because this is what God does. You know what? It could be that taking the next step could trigger more than you ever imagined. It could trigger more victory than you realize. And then finally we see here that we see the usefulness of trouble. We often are focusing on our pain, our feelings, our exhaustion. Right? We're going through it. and we, ah, This is the way I feel. Can I tell you something? You feel all that and that's real. But life actually isn't about you. As these lepers, they get there, it's like, whoa. They're eating. They're stashing money. And they said, you know what? This is not good. Because it's not just about us. You know what the amazing thing about life is that God helps you to help other people. And sometimes that comes through trouble. It'd be wonderful if you are feeling powerful and every action you do is powerful and that is how you help people. But I tell you, there's another way to help people and that is your life has lots and lots of trouble and your troubles help other people. It's an inspiration. You know what? For other people who are struggling and they know what you're going through and they see you in the prayer room, you know, that does something to them. Because there are people who think, you know what, if they can make it, maybe I can make it too. And they're inspired to go on. There is an encouragement. There's something when you have gone through the fire that when you say, you know, I, I had people through the year, you know, they said, and it's obvious they're like little sayings. I had a guy I used to go to church with, and he would say, keep your chin up, Mitchie. Oh, that, that's very helpful. 
when I think my brains are going to explode. But my friend said, keep your chin up. No, but there's something about someone who has gone through problems in life. And when they look you in the eye and say, you know what, you're going to make it. God's going to help you. Those words, these men, they come to the city and they speak some words. And soon the whole city is blessed by what they went through. Listen to me. I cannot promise you. As a matter of fact, I I prophesy that you will not have a trouble-free life. But I can promise you this. God is good. I don't care what you go through. God is good. He's still worth serving. And God can even use things that you thought were, this is the worst possible day of my life. There can be another day. You look back and you say, you know what? Some good came out of that. Because I serve a good God. Let's bow our heads. Close our eyes all across this place. Thank God. With our heads bowed. Before we do anything else, maybe you are here tonight and your heart is not right with God. What a terrible thing it would be to be living life that can have so many different kinds of problems and be on your own. The Bible says that people who serve God, they have problems. People who don't serve God, they have problems. But the difference is, if you're not in relationship with God, you're on your own. What a terrible thing it would be to face all that life can bring, the guilt and the shame and the, and the pain, the problems and the stresses of life, and you are on your own. Because I want to be honest with you, you can't live like a devil and then expect God to bless you. The Bible says we have a problem. It's a sin problem. We all have gone astray. We've broken God's, broken God's commands. But the good news is God loves you. He wants to help you. There are people here tonight. I don't know where you're at, but if you're not right with God, first, before anything else, you need to fix the sin problem. You need God to heal you on the inside. You need God to deliver you and set you free. I'm asking right now, how many here? You are not right with God. If you believe in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for your sins. If, if you want to turn from your sin, I want you to lift up your hand. Hold up your hand. Put it right, right back down and say, I want to get right with God. I'm not saved. Never been born again, but I want to get right with God. I want to leave my sin. Lift up your hand. How many here? I'm not saved. Or maybe you're backslidden. You were saved in the past. Maybe this is the very issue. Problems. You came to wrong conclusions and problems. You turned your back on God. Backslider, lift up your hand. God loves you. He wants to help you. Thank God. Then believers, I have given you a word from heaven. This word I didn't get from a book. I've lived this. There, there are people here, I, don't, I, I sense in my soul that there are people that you are going through problems of various kinds in your life. And maybe some of what I said tonight, this, these are the very words that you've said to your wife or your husband or to yourself or to somebody else. I don't think I have what it takes. I just, 
I don't think I can go on anymore. That's a lie from hell. You're trying to solve all of life's problems. All you need to do is take the next step. If you'll do that, God will come down. He'll magnify what you're doing. I want you to stand up to your feet. I'm going to open the altars. If God spoke to you, I'm inviting you to come to the altar. You tell God. You tell God exactly what's going on in your heart. If you're in despair of soul, tell God that. He's not afraid of your problems. But you tell God, I'm, I'm asking you to help me meet with me so that I can go on. They're going to sing the song while we're at the altar seeking God. Amen.